Welcome to Piedmont Arts, made possible by Quo Vadis and Ortho Carolina. I'm Rachel Stewart. The Western Piedmont Symphony's next Masterworks concert features a program of romantic music with works by Kachaturian, Mahler, Wagner, and Tchaikovsky. Baritone Sidney Outlaw will join the orchestra for Wagner's O du mein Holder Abendstern and Mahler's uh, Songs of the Wayfarer, and that'll be February 5th. He's a graduate of UNC Greensboro and Juilliard, and he's performed around the world, including at the Metropolitan Opera and Carnegie Hall. And he was nominated for a Grammy for his role as Apollo in Darius Mio's opera uh, trilogy, Oresti Desquil. And today he joins us along with Western Piedmont Symphony's music director and conductor, Matthew Troy. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So this is a program of romantic works coming up. I'm not sure how many people are familiar with the Wagner and the Mahler that you're doing, Sydney. So maybe uh, you and and feel free to chime in, um, Matthew, can talk about how these works fit into a romantic program. Yeah, you know, Mahler wrote these during what I would call the romantic era. I think he started writing these songs in 1884. He finished them. Matt, you might know more than I do, but I think he completed them a year later in 85. This was after Tristan Isolde was written, and that's usually my marker. A marker of... It's at, well, for me, anything after... Well, Beethoven's third period for me is like leaning into that. So I always start with Beethoven and then everything kind of leads out of that. And then like, we got this whole new thing going on. And then let's not talk about Verdi, but we not, that's not this interview. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they all, they all influenced uh, romantic music during this time. And um, I just look at the evolution of, of music. Um, even this, even though this is German, German repertoire, I look at the influence of bel canto music, you know. Um, From Italy, right? Yeah, I look at the influence of Bellini and, and Rossini and, and um, especially Maestro Verdi, um, especially in the B section of Ging heut Morgen überstellt, you know, those types of things. Uh, that's that's, it's like Wagnerian bel canto in a way. That's exactly what it is. Uh, it, it also has a lot of connections to Mahler's first symphony. That's right. It's the same theme, that, some of the same themes that you hear in the first symphony that was kind of, you know, gestating at that time. But I yeah. think Mahler was this person that he was, just to give full context, these were written when he was only about 24 years old, 25. He, he was born in 1860. So these were when he was still a young man. And it came at a time where he was doing a lot of conducting. And so he had at the time a little bit of a habit of falling in love with one of the sopranos usually in one of the cast of something that he was conducting and so he had kind of uh had this relationship with joanna richter that had kind of gone gone wrong and i think for him at that age of 24 25 if we can all remember back to what our hearts and our emotions felt at the age of 24 and 25 it's not difficult to connect with like that sense of emotion that he had and so he had just experienced really his first heartbreak yeah. with, with that relationship. And I think he poured that experience into his songs. Mahler wrote the text for the songs. And I think that tells you um, how personal they were for him. And I think that was going to be something that Mahler 
would yeah. carry through the rest of his life is just really like Mahler always, always yes. poured himself into his music. It was all about showing the world what his personal experience had to had to offer. It reminds me of a um, of a controlled, not even controlled, but a refined verismo style of singing. It comes from a personal place, you know, and it is traumatic. You're speaking about him being 24 years old. And yes, I do remember <laughs> being 24 and going through heartbreak. And and I remember how dramatic that that first feeling was. And so um, the cycle is overwhelming. I, I love it because it's it's in so many ways when you say the word Mahler, it conjures up all of these perceptions that people think of from the symphonies. They think of the gargantuan first symphony, the resurrection symphony, the symphony of a thousand, which, you know, had more than a thousand performers at its premiere in yes. Munich, I believe, you know. And so you, you just think about these things. And in so many ways, this music is none of that. It's all the more intimate side of Mahler. It's very different than a lot of other uh, pieces by Mahler. How does the Wagner compare? I always think these two composers are contemporaries. I was actually gonna ask Matt, could we switch the two pieces around and I do the Wagner first because uh, Wolfram sits a little bit lower in my voice and you have to make sure that you uh, are able to sing through the rafters. But that's also German bel canto. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and so um, it, I do think of these two composers as contemporaries of each other. And clearly Wagner influenced Mahler. Clearly, there's so many things about the orchestration. And there's uh, luckily we have so many different recordings of wonderful singers to hear um, Birgit Nielsen or Jesse Norman, you know, um, those types of thing, people singing this type of repertoire and to listen to how they are singing, just singing legato. And can you explain for listeners what legato is? Beautiful singing. (laughs) And, And we hear it all over and we hear it in pop music. We hear it in gospel music. You know, you want to hear legato singing in pop music, go listen to Whitney Houston sing, I'll always love you. Okay. I listen to music with that, with that type of ear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want to hear coloratura? Okay, cool. Go listen to gospel music and listen to Kim Burrell sing. And then go listen to Larry Brownlee sing the first act of Barbara Seville and connect the two because it's still coloratura, you know? And so I always talk to my students at Ithaca College about the parallels of classical music and what we hear commercially in pop music and things like that because a lot of times listeners think that um, there is this big separation between uh, what what the two genres, what they produce. Well, we're kind of taught that maybe one is lesser than the other inherently. Yeah. And so yeah. I think it's interesting when you can at least make the effort to try to bridge the gap between those yeah. things and try yeah. to seek out the things that are in common rather than the things that are different. And yes. Uh, it's, I always, I, you know, I always go back to the famous Duke Ellington quote that there's, there's good music and there's bad music. Right. And, it, and it's kind of, you know, I think that that quote just continues to ring true for me, Absolutely. no matter what you're listening to. So Absolutely. the work involved to do what we do with stage acting or 
learning to be uh, a classically trained singer in this genre of music. That work is different though. You know, in interviews or whatever I'm doing, you know, I've been promoting my new, my new CD, which comes out on the 28th. What's uh, it called? It's called Lament, L-A-M-E-N-T. And it's with my mentor, Warren Jones. Uh, we did a live concert at Brevard Music Center last summer. And I did a lot of thinking. I talked to Matt about this as well, about my lane of advocacy during all of the, the George Floyd. We're trying to do something different here, you know, God rest his soul. And um, I've always performed Black composers. And I learned that skill set here in Greensboro with LaVon Tobin Scott, who was my teacher at UNCG. I've always incorporated different composers and different styles of music in my recital. So that wasn't new to me but I knew I wanted to do a recording. I knew I wanted to do this recital and I knew I wanted to tell black stories. And so, and I knew I wanted to have black women composers on it, you know? And so that's what I did. I found some Dorothy Rudmore music. She composed an opera called Frederick Douglass. Have either of you ever heard of that? Well, you know, I'm, have been more interested lately in, uh, in Kiro Okoye's Harriet Tubman and yep. seeing, seeing that come to, to full fruition. But so no, Sydney, I'm not as familiar with the piece you just mentioned, but it, it's- It's a three act opera, the yep. size of Orgy and Bess. And so I took wow. 4th of July speech from 1854 mm -hmm. and learned it as an aria. It's an aria, that's what it is. And I put it in the recital and yep. um, I did Harry Burley's uh, Five Songs of Lawrence Hope. Well, Lawrence Hope was actually a woman named Adele Corey and they wouldn't publish her writings because they said, well, your writings are too erotic for a woman. So she changed her name to Lawrence Hope and they have published them immediately, you know? And I wanted to incorporate that, you know? Um, I did Claude McKay's poems, uh, three poems for Baritone by Robert Owens to the poems of uh, Claude McKay and Langston Hughes' Genius Child by Ricky Ian Gordon, you know? So it's, these are things that I, I'll bring it back to the Mahler because that's what this is about. These are things that I've studied and built a skill set for for years. Um, one last question. I'm just wondering how um, how things have been going for for you both um, in the second year of the pandemic. I know that you do have your performances back, or at least the live performances are back, but. Um, how have things shaped up for each of you this year? Last year was such a crazy, <laughs> I don't think this one's been much less crazy. Matthew, you want to speak first? Well, I just know that, you know, obviously, Rachel, you kind of stayed in touch with what we were doing at the Western Piedmont Symphony during the pandemic. I mean, we got really creative and pushed ourselves very hard to get outside of the box to think about how to keep music happening and keep music uh, coming out of the symphony to reach our, our patrons and to just maintain contact with them. Um, so that was a, a huge learning experience in itself. Um, you're right, things are different now in terms of uh, having concerts back. We say we have concerts back, but I was supposed to have a concert this weekend with the Oklahoma City Philharmonic that has been canceled. So um, it's still a little bit hit or miss right now um and things are still um kind of just very touchy we you, you know i think we don't know exactly where things are and where things are headed and so that brings a certain level of 
anxiety, <laughs> you know, in, in itself to, to what we're doing. Um, but I think, you know, Sydney kind of already touched on something that I think is really important in terms of the, the answer that I have for this question, which is just, for me, I think in the second year of the pandemic, the first year was much more outward. It was much more, let's put out a lot of things to keep the orchestra visible and whatnot. And it's not that we're not doing that, but now those things, we figured that out. But I think the second year of the pandemic has caused me to go inward a lot more to look at making sure that even if I have uncertainty about these performances, whether they may happen or whether they may not, that I'm still in the practice room, in the study room, I'm doing my homework. I am not letting it slow me down in terms of my preparation. Because again, I'm trying to take that big picture view, the long, the long view to realize that, you know, even in the unfortunate situation when a performance may be canceled, all of that studying and work that I've done is not wasted work. It's still work that keeps me involved. It keeps, you know, me improving my craft and keeps me focusing on how to become even just closer and closer with the music at all times. So that's just kind of my eternal <laughs> quest, you know, um, not to sound overly dramatic, but it, it starts to feel like that when, you know, you wake up every morning and you're eat, sleep and breathing music, music, music all day long and, and studying scores as much as you can in between emails and meetings. And um, that's, that's just the way it is. So for me, I've gone a lot more kind of inward and just making sure that I am nurturing and fostering my own music making and musicality uh in a continuing basis through the pandemic right i 100% agree I, i'm gonna piggyback off of that i'm very much one of those types of people like matt who i love being able to be creative and make art at a high level and throughout the whole pandemic and even now i feel rushed and i feel that Every, a lot of people are, and we have to, trying to stay relevant and stay in the light. And it's all about the PR and being seen. And um, a lot of times we forget about the music, we forget about the acting, we forget about what Mahler wrote. It's been one of those things where I am constantly setting boundaries so that I can do what I need to do to take care of myself and keep my cup full. I'm an artist and um, that's who I am. And um, I do crave the quietness and the solitude and just being able to uh, work with my teachers and mentors and be selfish in that capacity and soak up energy. Like you said, boundaries, you have to set boundaries because you have to protect that thing that is most precious to you. And for us, that thing is the music and, and our relation to the music and the voice and 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 you have to set its, its boundaries. Yep. Absolutely, Sydney. Yep. Well, good luck to both of you. Um, and um, we'll look forward to the performance that's coming up on February 5th, yeah. a couple couple of weeks from when we're making this recording, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you both for taking the time out of your very busy schedules oh, to, I wouldn't to chat it. a little bit. I love these. I love this type of stuff. This is really cool to be able to talk to audiences about classical composers and, and normalize them. Well, thank you for normalizing <laughs> today. Uh, been, I've been talking to uh, baritone Sydney Outlaw, 
and music director and conductor Matthew Troy from the Piedmont Western Piedmont Symphony. And they will be performing a concert on February 5th that features music by Wagner and Mahler and Tchaikovsky and Kachaturian. And uh, you can find out more about it at their website, which is, I believe, wpsymphony.org. That's correct. Um, and there's probably something about it at our website, too, on the events calendar at wdav.org. For Piedmont Arts, I'm Rachel Stewart. Piedmont Arts is made possible by Quo Vadis and Ortho Carolina.